Today we're going to be uh, finishing up the series, and I, I do, and if you've been around this ministry for very long, and, and I know a lot of you guys are just brand new, um, and so hopefully you haven't heard this before, but once a year I do this talk, and it's because um, I think it's the most practical talk and probably most relevant for this age group, and it's about preparing for marriage, or um, maybe even like, if that's not even on your radar, perfect, or if you are, you are married, which probably there's not very many of you in here that are, this is going to help you stay married, all right? And so I'm going to give you some really practical tips, um, like my top six things that you need to know in order to prepare for marriage or, uh, or to stay married. And um, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've talked about kind of the biblical perspective on marriage and sex and sexuality and all that kind of good stuff. And, and we got into some deeper theology. Well, today we're not going to be that deep. All right. It's a, it's a pretty practical, uh, practical message. So here's what it is. It is. Here's my six tips. All right. Number one, get out of debt. All right, so if you ever think that marriage is a possibility, get out of debt. And when I say get out of debt, um, what I really mean is don't have any debt, okay? I know, it's really complicated. Um, you guys, I mean, you guys are like, oh man, I'm not good at math. No, that it's not, it's okay, just don't have debt. And what I mean by debt is dumb debt, all right? So dumb debt would be things like credit cards and car loans and things. Even school loans can be kind of considered um, really bad debt. There's only a few things that are good debt, and those are things that increase in value over time. That would be like a, whole, a home, like a mortgage or something like that. Um, but you need to pay off those things as quickly as possible. You do not want to be dragging them through life with you. And so if you have credit card debts or you have school loans or you have uh, a car payment or something like that, pay it off as quickly as you can. And here's the crazy thing is, um, one, it's never going to be easier to pay off your debt than right now. And some of you guys think, and what I mean right now is like the life stage that you're in, some of you guys think, no way, it's going to be way easier when I get married because what's going to happen is I'm going to have an extra income, like I'll be making money and then hopefully they'll be making more money and so everything is going to be, everything is going to be great. This is actually not true at all because as um, maybe you've realized in life is every season of life gets more complicated than the last season of life. And so if you look at, uh, maybe if you're in college, you look at high school, and when you were in high school, you thought, there's no way life gets more complicated than this. This is so hard, right? And then you get a little bit older and you go, I was, that was so easy. I took a nap every day after high school. And then you'll get out of college and then you'll get in a career and you'll be like, oh my gosh, college was so easy. And so life continually gets, it hopefully gets better, but it gets more complicated. And so your life is not going to slow down. It's not going to become easier. It's going to get more and more complicated and you're going to have more and more responsibilities. And so right now is actually the easiest time to pay off any debt that you might have. And uh, the other thing is, is you are creating habits. And so if you were thinking, you know what, I'll, I'll worry about this debt when I get married, what you're bringing into that is not only this dirty little secret called debt that you have, but you're also bringing in a really bad habit. And you're going to go from having a single person bad habit to having a marriage person bad habit. And it goes from being your problem to our problem. And if you think having a problem as a single person is tough, you should try having that problem as a married person. Because it gets ugly really, really quick. Because you feel bad about your debt, but your spouse is going to make you feel even worse about your debt. And so um, pay off your debt as quickly as you can. Now, if you're uh, thinking about 
uh, maybe dating somebody and you're, you're, you're trying to decide, is this a person that I need to go out with? I would begin to look at, and this is hilarious, I have a friend who actually met here at Young Adults years and years ago, that when they went on their first, I think it was their first or second date, she wanted to know his credit score to find out if, if he was worthy of dating or, or she, he was worthy of dating her or not, which I thought, okay, one, uh, a little bit retentive, but I like the idea. You're trying to make sure that this guy is responsible. And so you may look at somebody and go, oh my goodness, they're so cute. They drive such a cool car, that BMW, I'd look so good in it. And then you find out the payment and you go, yeah, you're not as cute anymore. You went from like an eight to a six really quick because like, that's a heavy payment. Or you might find a girl attractive and you're like, oh, she's so dresses so stylish and so well. And then you find out all the credit card debt that she has because of those clothes. And you go, mm, that thrift store girl is looking a lot better right now, right? Yeah, uh-huh, because she doesn't have the baggage that uh, the other girl has. And so you may not be thinking about this um, because you're like, I don't, I don't know anybody. I, marriage is so far away from my mind. Um, but the, and the whole premise for tonight is going to be prepare for marriage, even if marriage seems like something that is so far away. Now, um, for those of you who are like, I don't, I'm not getting married till you're 30. That was me when I was 18. I said, I'm not getting married till I'm 30. I'm not interested. I got things I want to do with my life, blah, 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 right? When Amy and I met, I told her that. She was 18, fresh out of high school. I was just, uh, I think I was, I was 20. And I told her, I'm not dating. I'm not interested. I've got things I want to do with my life. Marriage is not one of them. Now, God has a funny way of playing uh, jokes on us because we got married just a few years after that, super young. And so even if you're thinking, I'm not getting married till I'm 30, which is like so old, which is like so old, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So um, good news is you can decide today that you are going to be done with your debt. The other thing is really practical is you don't want to be a slave to your debt. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So what happens is when you enter into debt, especially this uh, consumer debt, is you're entering into a relationship with a person or a company in which you are accountable to. They really get to decide different aspects of your life. Is you are saying to them, um, let me know what my future is going to look like. Is this okay? Can I do these things? Because you are going to be tied down to debt and you're not going to be able to do certain things because you have entered into that, uh, that lender and borrower relationship. And so you will be anchored down. And then oftentimes I've seen people who, they want to go and pursue something, something that God has called them to, but they can't because they've got this debt that they're dealing with. So for example, you guys, a bunch of you guys just went to Guatemala. Well, you probably got to go because you don't have an enormous amount of debt, right? But there are lots of people who go, man, I wish I could have gone, but I can't because I got too much debt. And so I missed out on that trip or I'm going to miss out. On, and you may miss out on something even bigger than that. God might call you to this new season of life in which he's going to call you to be a missionary for six months or do something crazy like that. And you're going to go, I can't because I have to hold down a job here because I got too much debt. I've seen lots of people who desperately want to go and pursue this. They're free in all the arenas of their life. They're not married. They don't have anything tying them down except for debt. All right. Um, it, it, by the way, if you want any resources, start with Dave Ramsey. Write that down. Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. I know tons of people have gone through it. If you have debt, start there. Great resource. All right. Second is this. Uh, my second tip is stay out of bed. Stay out of bed. 
We talked about this the first, um, the first week, I think, and we've pretty much touched on it throughout the weeks, but I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. Is the scripture talks about sexual immorality and sexual purity. And of course, you're thinking, oh, Jesus, why don't go to church? This is, I, I knew, I'm pretty sure every week they talk about sex and money, right? Like, don't have sex and give us your money. I wish it was reversed, you know, but that's not what they do here. They always talk about sex, don't do it, money, let's have it. And, um, and let me give you a, a little background on this, is when the Bible talks about sexuality and talks about sex, it gives us incredible insight into why it is such an important thing and a great thing to be used within the right context. And so we looked at creation and all that narrative, but let me look at another passage really quickly. Is there's this guy named the Apostle Paul, some of you guys are familiar with him, and he wrote a, a big chunk of the New Testament. And as he's writing to these different churches, that he either planted or he is in contact with, and he's kind of giving them practical advice on how to live, and he's also giving them theology. He talks to them about sexual purity. And in that culture, you, you may think, oh, it's like 2,000 years ago. They don't know anything about sex. We're super enlightened now. We know way more. No, 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 no. The church that he writes to in this, this passage, Corinthians, is the church of Corinth. And that was like the Las Vegas of the first century. These people understood sex better than we understand sex because it was a part of their pagan culture. In fact, um, you could, if you were a man, you could own women, you could have slaves, and they could be your sex slaves. And if you got tired of them, you can sell them off, buy new ones, or you can go down to your local pagan temple in which a way to worship is to have sex with a prostitute. And so they understood sex. They understand sexual immorality. They understand um, what it means to live in a sex-crazed culture. And so when he writes this, I want you to keep that context in mind. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, I want you to make sure you don't miss this. He gives us a direct command. He doesn't say something like, you know what? Be very, very careful about sexual immorality, right? He doesn't say tiptoe around it to make sure not to oh, fall in there. No. Yeah, some of you guys got that. Uh, he says, flee from sexual immorality. That means that you have to be proactive. You have to run away from sexual immorality. Don't just mess around with it. Don't get as close to the edge as you can without falling off. He says, get away as quickly as you can. And he doesn't come to this conclusion lightly because he's going to give us something that is actually pretty profound, I think a bit ahead of his time. Here's what he says. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He's saying that there's something different about sexual sin. Not that it's worse than other sins, but it's definitely different than other sins. And I think all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, you know this to be true. There is something about sex that is different than any other physical activity that we do. It's because when someone is beat up, it's very different than when someone is raped. Both are physical, uh, physical harm done to somebody, and yet sex uh, and being raped is far worse than being beat up. Why? Well, because there's something unique. There's something different. It also is the thing that um, we regret the most when we misuse it. I've talked to probably hundreds and hundreds of young people, and so many of them come to me and said, you know, I've messed up. I've made these mistakes. And no one has ever come to me and said, I just can't get over the fact that I got this speeding ticket six years ago, and I just can't, I can't recover from it. No one has ever said that. In fact, 99.99% of the time they come in and the reason why they're struggling, the thing that they are regretting and the guilt that they have is gonna be sexual. 
because there is something different about sex. And Paul says it's because you're sinning against yourself, that sex is a powerful thing. It's a gift, and used within the, the right context, it can be an incredible thing. However, just like any good gift, if you misuse it, um, it can have devastating results. Sex is fragile, and it has to be treated as such. Continues on, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. And so he says, if you've become a Christian and you've invited Christ into your life, there is a sense that God now lives inside of you, that he dwells within you, that this thing called the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so he has purchased you by his death on the cross. And when he purchased you, he expects something from you, right? He, he has authority over you. He has authority over your soul, which is great. That's what gives us salvation. But he also has the authority to tell you what to do with it, what to do with your mind and, and with your body, it says, you're not your own. You don't get to decide what to do with your body anymore. If you want that forgiveness, you gotta hand over your life to him, including um, all the, 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 the rules and regulations that go along with it. Now, we've already talked about why this is a really good thing, but he reminds us here that um, your body is not your own. It says, therefore, and this is a logical conclusion, if God has paid for you and he owns you, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your body. He says, look, he purchased you, he paid for you, he forgave you, now you have eternal life, so you owe him honor with your body specifically. And so to honor God with our bodies means to follow the rules that he has laid out for us. And he doesn't do this because he doesn't want us to have fun. You gotta remember, he created sex. He understands it. He gets it better than you get it. And he also says, and I know the context that it's supposed to be used, and so if you misuse it, it's going to be painful. And so I, I said this the first week, and I want to make sure I reemphasize this, is every year when we do this series, I challenge people who either um, have dated kind of serially, they've just jumped from relationship, and you can't remember not dating since junior high, and it's been one relationship, or have made these mistakes and, and haven't quite recovered from it, um, I would challenge you to take a full year off from dating, a full year off is say, I don't care if my dream boat comes on by in this next year, I'm committing to God that I am going to take a year off from dating. And here's what happens when you take a year off from dating, when it's not even an option anymore, because you have promised God no dating for a year. What happens is, one, um, you're gonna find that you have a lot more free time, all right? You got a lot more free time, because even if you weren't dating before, you're not even thinking about it now, so you're not even stressing about it. So you have a lot more time to start focusing on, all right, What's my relationship with God look like? What's some of the stuff in my life that I need to deal with, especially if I've been a serial dater? Why do I do that? What in me am I missing? What is, what is that empty spot that I keep trying to fulfill with these relationships or the sex? Or, and so you get to begin to explore who you are. And the other thing that happens is there's kind of a fog when you're dating, especially when you're sexually active, that you don't see yourself and you don't see the other people and even the world the same way as when you're single. And the more time you take being single, that, that fog will kind of clear up and you'll get more clarity on the world and on your relationship with God and, and even on some of the internal stuff that you've been dealing with. All right, number three is this. Um, clean out your closet. Clean out your closet. And I do not mean go home and clean out your closet, although some of you should do that as well. What I mean by this is get rid of your emotional baggage. Some of you guys are a mess. In fact, a lot of you guys are a mess. That's okay. You're welcome. We made this place for you, but you can't stay that way. 
So this week I was talking to a, um, a family member of mine, and he was talking about some of the biggest struggles that uh, pastoring this next generation. And he identified the fact that a huge number of them have grown up in families with only one parent, specifically without a father. And that has left some deep, deep woundedness in their lives. They don't know how to deal with conflict. I see that all the time. I'm not sure, you know, I got mad at you, and so my response is, I'm out, because that's what dad did. Or um, I, 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 I don't understand why I act in certain ways. I don't know why I'm attracted to this type of person. I don't really know what's going on. I just feel, I just react in this way, and it's because you have some stuff you haven't dealt with. And so one of the biggest things in order to prepare you for marriage is to make sure that you deal with your stuff because no one says on their wedding day, okay, today is the day that I commit my life to you in all its codependency and unhealthiness and I can't wait to see how this thing's gonna end. It's gonna be great. No one says that. I've seen a lot of marriages that I know that's gonna happen with them, but nobody says this. It's because for many of them, they're not willing to clean out their closet to deal with their emotional baggage. And some of you guys, when I say that, you instantly know what it is. You go, look, I have this deep insecurity, or I have these, um, this anger issue, or this passive aggressiveness, or I have this. You know what is in there. And some of you guys are like, duh, 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 I don't know. It's great. I'm great. Life's great. I'll tell you what yours is, okay? You come to me, I'll tell you. No, but we all got stuff, right? We all have stuff. And what we do oftentimes is we run away. So when someone bugs us, for example, if you go to college, I remember my first roommate in college was a disaster. And you know what I was able to do? Get a new roommate, right? That's, that's, that's what I, I've had friends over the years that you just go, I don't know why I hang out with you. You know what? I'm not going to anymore. You're not my friend, unfriend, right? You can do this. You can do this in your job. You're like, my boss is an idiot. Guess what I'm going to do? I quit. Here's the broom, you know, like I'm done, but when it comes to your marriage, you're not allowed to do this anymore. Your whole life, you've been able to just quit whatever you don't like, just to get rid of it, just to blame it on them. But when it comes to your marriage, if you do this to your marriage and to your family, which happens all the time, we know this, a lot of you guys have come from divorced families, it creates a mess in your life, in their life, and in your kids' lives. And so we have the opportunity to begin to deal with our stuff that will affect our future marriage here and now. And the problem is, is that you will never be less motivated as a single person to deal with your baggage than you are right now. You will, you, this is the least amount of motivation you have to go fix because here's what happens is I'm single. I haven't met that person. I'm not even sure there's prospects out there. I have zero motivation to go and have to deal with my crud, which is probably going to be painful. The time that you're going to be ready to deal with it is the time in which your marriage is about to break up. That's when you're most motivated, and that's when it's uh, the, the last-ditch effort. And so if you ever want to have a future marriage which is healthy and lasts a lifetime, you got to start dealing with your stuff. This means get to a counselor. This means get into a rooted group. This means getting to a community of peers who are able to speak truth. This means getting a mentor. This means uh, putting yourself in places intentionally in order to deal with your stuff. All right, number four. Um, and this one's super practical, and this is something that I did before I, uh, before I met Amy, is create a list of non-negotiables. All right, so create a list of non-negotiables. Who is the person that you're going to marry? What are the character traits that they have to have? 
things that I will not, um, I, I will not negotiate on. These are things that the person I'm going to marry, they have to be like this. And so a couple that I had on my list was, um, they got to love Jesus. They got to be plugged into and actively involved into a local church. Okay, so that was like, a, that was like my number one. All right, so if you are not a Christian and you are not at a local church, you're out. I don't care how beautiful you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care. No, you're out if you do not meet that qualification. Let me put even a little note on that is um, you have to be at the same level uh, in the same, let's say, we'll say in the same general area spiritually as me, right? Because we know people are like, no, they're a Christian, totally. And you're like, come on, really? Like, ah, no, they grew up in a Christian home. You're like, no, it doesn't count, all right? You You gotta be a Christian like I'm a Christian, all right, which means Bible believing, active, living it out, all that kind of good stuff. Um, for those of you who are a little bit older, not in college, they got to have a job, like a career, right? They're not still living at home, and they're just, I don't know, man, I'm freaking just chilling, dude. Like, I'm just relaxing, <laughs> you know? No, you're out, all right? You're a bum. I'm not dating you. Sorry, okay? They got to have a real, or they got to be working towards it at least, all right? I get it. The job market, it's tough. But if you are just chilling, and you are a barista, and you are good with that for the rest of your life, you're out. All right, number three. Um, they dealt with their baggage, living a life of holiness. We've talked about that. Uh, here's one that, let me give you two parts of this. They either come from a good family or they have dealt with their family of origin issues to the best of their ability. All right, so they either come from a great family. So for me, I wanted to marry somebody who came from a family like I came from, right? I wanted to have a wife who had two parents at home, both Christians. Um, she didn't have all that stuff. But I have lots of friends who that's not who they married or that's not who they are. But they did the hard work. Remember, this is cleaning out your closet. They did the hard work of dealing with, because you don't get to choose what family you're born into. I get that. But you do get to choose what you're going to do with the family that you're born into, how you're going to react, how you're going to respond to it, how you're going to heal that brokenness. Um, Another one would be they have similar goals in mind for the future. So I wanted to be a pastor and Amy wanted to be in ministry. Her dad was a pastor. Her mom was music ministry. My parents passed. It just aligned. Perfect. It was kind of weird the first time we met, actually. It was like uh, her dad was a pastor. My dad's a pastor. Uh, we have this building called the warehouse. They had a building called the warehouse. It was like all these things. I'm like, you're cute. I'm cute. It's weird. You know, there's so many things, so many weird things. Um, but you got to have, you gotta have a, a, a vision for the future that, yes, there's going to be nuances and differences, but you got to have the primary picture be the same. Because as you're going to pursue something and they're going to pursue something, it better be the same thing or else there's going to be a lot of conflict. The biggest, not the biggest, one of the biggest um, conflicts that Amy and I had in our marriage early on was her vision for our future. I, or our, vision, our vision for our future and her vision had to die in order for ours to, to become one. And it was one of the hardest things that we did in our marriage. It took us a couple years to work through that and discuss that and whatever. And eventually through prayer and a lot of conversations, we came to a unified vision of what our future was going to look like. But her vision had to die and that was painful. Now we know that as we look back, you know, it's been 10 years now and we look back and we go, wow, God was really in that. But if you, and it was just one little area of our life, but if you have a, a different maybe future family, we go, I don't want kids. You're like, well, I want like 12 kids. It's like, well, okay, yeah, let's meet in the middle. One, you know, like, no, that's not, 
you guys don't have a unified vision. And so you've got to discuss your, your goals and your family aspirations and all that kind of stuff and make sure it aligns to some degree. Yes, you're going to argue about, well, I want to live in like Cyprus. And you're like, no, I want to live in like Garden Grove. No one says that, by the way. Um, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, of course, this one doesn't even need to be said, but you got to find them attractive. You got to be like being around them, not annoying, all that kind of stuff. Um, but here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do is make this list before you meet somebody. Make this list before you meet somebody. Because what will happen is if you don't make this list of non-negotiables, you'll have kind of an idea of who you want, but someone will come along and you'll be like, close enough. <laughs> you know, like, like this week, we, uh, we were at a pizza place and we ordered three pizzas and one of the pizzas showed up and it was wrong. And our response was, that's fine, we'll eat it anyway, right? Because it's here, it looks good, it's fine, it's not what we wanted, but we'll take it. That's how people do in marriage sometimes. Is they're like, look, I'm thirsty, <laughs> you know? And so like, boom. All right, you're welcome. Uh, we all make bad decisions when we're hungry or thirsty, and so you gotta decide ahead of time, uh-uh, non-negotiables, this is the type of pizza I will have, and I will not settle for anything less. This is the type of person in which I will be married to, and I will settle for nothing less. Because sometimes, and I'm not, not talking about, uh, okay, sometimes, you guys aren't at this age, but I've seen this later on, is everybody starts settling down, and you kind of think, oh, shoot, everybody's like got a, you know, it's like the last dance, you know, like, like at, the, at the prom or something, you're like, oh, frick, oh, oh, no, oh, geez, uh, you're kind of hopping along over there, you come over here, you know, like, I guess you're, you'll do, <laughs> you know, like, you're breathing, come on over. That's sort of what happens with marriage sometimes. Okay, uh, number five. Number five, seek wise counsel is you got to find some people who are smarter and wiser than you when you are thinking about or you are dating somebody. Is you are not objective, all right? Nobody is objective, especially if you have some kind of emotional connection and you're like, oh, I just really like them and stuff. You're not going to be objective about this person. And so you're going to overlook all the stuff that you should be looking into. And so you need to find people in your life who can speak truth, who can say, you know what? I see something that you don't see. Um, you know what? I think that this is an issue that they haven't dealt with, and this is really going to be ugly later on. Hey, I see some immaturity. I see some areas that need to be, I see that you guys are getting too close, too fast. You need to have people who are able to speak into your life. So for me, I was very fortunate in the fact that um, my, my dad and I are like best friends. And so he was able to speak truth into my life. And he was able to say, hey, here's what I see. Here's what... And he would even call me out. And that was probably most of our conversations. He would say, here's who you are and here's what you need to fix in your relationship right here. And so you got to find people who are smarter than you, they're wiser than you. I would say are married and have a great marriage, of course, are, are, are believers and, and people who you go, you know what? I would like to have their marriage. And so um, I want them to speak into my life to tell me how to get there. And so uh, you got you to gotta seek that out. you got to find people, be in a community that does that. All right, this one's going to sound um, counterintuitive, but this is for once you are married. All right, so once you've made the big plunge, just remember this. Lower your expectations. All right, that you're going to want them to lower expectations on you. you got to lower expectations on them. And what I mean by this is um, we have... We have I could go really deep into this, but let me just give you a flyby. Is in culture past, all of our hopes and expectations were put in God. 
because this is where we can find true fulfillment and purpose. But what has happened is we have switched that to oftentimes romantic relationships, is I'm gonna be satisfied, I'm gonna be fulfilled, I'm gonna find my purpose, and we put all of those hopes and dreams onto a person. And what happens is that person and that relationship that you have, it cannot bear the weight of your hopes and dreams. They will disappoint you. You you will be crushed when you find out that they are not perfect and they will be crushed when they find out that you are not perfect because you were supposed to be the one that made me better and that fixed me. And when that doesn't happen, the relationship oftentimes fails. And if this happens in marriages and you think that they're gonna be the one to bring you joy and complete you and all this, that marriage is going to just crumble under the weight of those expectations. According to Dr. Gary Rosenberg, he says, failed expectations are the first step towards divorce. Is disappointment in them or disappointment in you? That they haven't lived up to your expectations. So today, um, I, I, we had to go to like a little uh, party thing after church, a going away party, and I was exhausted. I've been driving days and days and days because we've been traveling a ton. And when we got home, one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday afternoon is... Take a nap, of course, right? That's why it's like un-American not to. And so I went home and I was able to get the kids to lay down and watch a movie and Ezra fell asleep, which is a miracle. And so I'm thinking, I'm taking a nap and I fall asleep for, I, I say it's like five seconds. She said 30 minutes, but whatever. I fall asleep for a little bit and she's trying to wake me up and I'm not having it. I am over it. And she says this, this is hilarious. I'm half asleep. She goes, I feel like I have four children. I'm like, lower your expectations, dude. Frick, you know the rules, <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah, you okay, fine. I'm a child. I don't, you know, whatever. And, and it, and she, because she expected, and then she rightly expected. Of course, I don't mean to have no expectations. I just mean don't expect them to fulfill you. But um, if you lower your expe- expectations, again, don't not not expecting anything from them, but you will be pleasantly surprised when they don't screw up, when they're not an idiot, when they take out the trash without being asked, you will just go, you know what? I thought you were just gonna fail today. And today you didn't, you know, like way to go. That's what I tell my wife all the time. Okay, um, so let me wrap this up. And, and um, I wanted to get done early tonight because we got uh, movies and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, let me just end with this. Is some of you guys hear this and whether you're a Christian or not, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that you will agree with everything I've said because it's common sense, right? You go, yeah, yeah, I should get rid of my emotional baggage and I should get out of debt and oh yeah, and okay, maybe sleeping around, I'm not sure, we'll limit that. You know, like you're, okay, you're somewhat on board with what I'm saying. But the problem is, is that you're not motivated and most of you will walk out of here and not do any of those things. Or maybe if you are uh, somewhat um, motivated, you will take one or two of those things and say, okay, I'm gonna work on those. But the problem is, is that if you are unwilling to deal with these things right now, when you do meet the person that you potentially are going to marry, you know what you're gonna want from them? All of these things. You're going to expect from them that they don't bring in all this emotional baggage and daddy issues and all this kind of stuff, and you're gonna expect them not to bring in huge amounts of debt, and you're gonna expect from them not to have been sleeping around, and you're gonna, those are all the things that you're gonna want from somebody whom you are going to marry one day. But when you expect that from them, but you haven't done it yourself, you know what that makes you? A hypocrite. And nobody likes a hypocrite. 
And so if you ever want to marry the type of person who has dealt with their stuff, who has uh, decided to get their life on track and has stayed out, uh, out of um, uh, uh, debt and all, all that stuff, if you want to have that kind of person as your future spouse, then you have to be that type of person as well. Think about the conversation that you want to have one day is you're talking to them and they say, you know, uh, when I was 19, I, I had this cool car and I was just, you know, I decided, wow, this is just taking up all my money. And so I just, I sold it and I got this little uh, junker and I drive this thing around, but I've saved up enough money for a down payment on a condo. You're going to go, wow, you are way cuter uh, at the end of this conversation than you were at the beginning, right? Or someone who says, you know what, I made my mistakes when I was in high school or when I moved out and I moved in with this person and it was just a mess. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I need to live for Jesus. And so, you know what, I moved back with my parents to get my life on track, to make sure that I was morally um, and, and, and spiritually on track. And so, yeah, it's been a little bit crazy for the last few years. You're going to go, you know what, that's, that's okay. I can deal with that. Or you're going to find somebody who, you know, who hasn't dated in like five years and is super awkward. And you're going, what are you doing right now? And you're like, I don't know. I've just been waiting for somebody. And then you seem like that somebody. You're going to go, oh, okay, I guess <laughs> it's fine. It's fine that you're awkward. I get it. <laughs> so I'll take care of it. <laughs> you know, whatever. Is you want to marry that type of person. So the, the end of the day, this is what you got to remember. Become the person whom you want to marry. Become the person whom you want to marry. You don't want to marry someone with daddy issues. You don't want to marry somebody who's been sleeping around. You don't want to marry somebody who is not spiritually attracted. You don't want any of those things. So become that person, and then you get to expect that from your future spouse. All right, let's pray. Lord God. Thank you so much for um, a place which we can talk about uh, some of these more sensitive topics, um, but extremely relevant ones in which we, um, we get to think about the future. We get to think about uh, our future spouses, which for some of us just seems like a lifetime away, but it may creep up on us before we know it. And so we just pray for um, the courage and the strength and the motivation to become these people whom we would want to marry, Lord God. And so we just pray that whatever the things are that we might be struggling with, um, that you would give us guidance. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.